I'll never forget when we first brought our oldest Josh home from the hospital. And Tiffany handed him to me, and I held him awkwardly because I've never held a newborn before in my life. And I was just trying not to drop him. And somebody said, wow, his smile looked like Tiffany. And somebody else said, his eyes look like Jeff's. And I was looking and I said, he looks exactly like every newborn I've ever seen in my life. The most disorienting thing of this season of life was learning what it meant to live without sleep because a baby was crying all night long. Now, this is a safe space, right? You guys wouldn't judge the person up front. Can we agree to that? What I mean is this was a disorienting season for Tiffany because she learned what it meant like to live life without sleep. Here's what happened that I remember. It was about the fourth night and Josh had been crying for about 10 minutes and I went in and I said, Tiffany, isn't this about the time when we should let him cry it out and learn on his own? And she looked at me and she said, Jeff, he's four days old. Go back to bed. So I did. And the next night I came in and Josh was crying again. And I said, Tiffany, do you know what resilience is? It's a tough world out there. I think it's time we let Josh develop a little bit of resilience. And she looked at me again patiently. And the next morning she said, Jeff, let me take the nights. And I did, happily. So a few months later, we decided to try Josh in the, the nursery for the first time. So we'd sit in the back. And the first time we were here at church, I'm listening to Pastor Steve preach. And before I even know she's gone, Tiffany's back with Josh. And I look and she said, he was hungry. And I hadn't even heard a baby cry. So the next week, same thing's ha thing happens, and she comes back. This time she says, he missed me. I'll be honest, here's what I heard. Jeff, I'm 2-0. I all of a sudden took this as a competition. She twice had won in hearing the game of hearing Josh cry first. So the next week I went in, and I wasn't paying any attention. And the first time I heard a baby cry, I started elbowing her. I'm like, Tiffany, Josh. And she looked and said, that's not Josh. And I said, Tiffany, every baby and every cry sounds the exact same. How did you know that? Well, for months, she had been tending to the voice of Josh at night. She'd been listening to every cry. She'd been responding to exactly what Josh needed. What if we knew the Spirit's voice like that? I'm here to tell you today that there has never been a more challenging time to cultivate a life where the Holy Spirit's voice is the loudest one in your head. There are too many other voices. There are too many distractions. But at the same time, the world has never needed anything more than for you to cultivate a life where the Holy Spirit's voice is the loudest one in your head. I have one hope today, and it is for Holy Spirit-inspired prayer movement in your life. So if you want to make me feel good, don't come up after and say, Jeff, you should get ordained, or Jeff, that was a great sermon. Come tell me when you're going to pray. Come tell me who you're going to pray for, and come tell me how fearless you're going to be in responding to what the Holy Spirit says when he prompts you. 
I'm convinced some of us have internalized a vision of prayer that does not fit the practical reality of our lives. So we assume prayer is suited for those who live in a monastery. And we look around the room, a room like this, and we think, everybody else in here probably has prayer figured out. They probably can sit and pray for hours because of their intimacy with God. My hope at the end of this sermon is that you will have more freedom and more confidence to go after prayer in the way that fits your personality, in the way that fits your schedule, that you'll be free to just do whatever God puts in your heart as you pursue him in his word and in prayer. And I'm going to finish by trying to give some practical insight into my own journey and explain a prayer practice we call praying on offense. You'll walk out of here, those who commit, with a book. And this book will help guide your prayers. I'm going to ask some of you to commit to that practice. So I'll give you a preview of what it is. And I know this is college church, so don't be mad at how simple this is. It's the simplest discipleship plan you'll ever get. Ask God what to do. Then do it. Is that enough? We could leave right now if you guys want. That's basically what we're going to be talking about today. So hope you weren't expecting more. This is not a magic formula, but I believe prayer is the operating principle of the kingdom. And if you sustain it over time, not in days, but in weeks and months and years, God's voice will become louder in your life. And you'll see movement in ways that touch the people you care about the most and the spaces you enter as you leave the walls of the church. But before we get to prayer, I think we first need to consider the vision we have for our role as laity in God's kingdom. See, Paul starts this passage by talking about the most serious problem in the Corinthian church, an inability to discern between the kingdom's ways and the culture's ways. It was at the root of so many problems of what was a very messy church. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, I want to ask you, church, how many of you in the last couple of years at some point have looked at the American church and said, are we following the kingdom or are we following the culture? I've heard a lot of you speak about that in a lot of different topics, but here's one that I think we haven't talked about enough. What is the connection between the church and the marketplace? When I hear about this, this is, what, this is what I hear so often. Let's take the best from the marketplace. They have the best strategy. They have the best execution. They have the best vision. They have the best branding. They have the best marketing. What if we could learn that? Think how great our church would be. The problem is what the scripture says about the church. The problem is the spiritual power and authority that we have access to. Yeah, there's been a lot of positive that has happened because of these things. But do we settle for the best business strategy with a little Jesus thrown on top? Do we follow the ways of the marketplace and then as we enter it, do we just try to be nice, treat people well, and hope they ask what's different about us? It makes way more sense to me when I read scripture is that the spiritual power and authority of the church should be making a dent in the way the marketplace operates. The church has the best answers, not the other way around. We should be entering every domain of society and seeing the kingdom come to life. 
If there's anything I've discovered in my own life and in watching the lives of so many of you in this church, it's that in any area, God's wisdom is way more than my best strategic thinking. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. If we're going to see the things that only God can do, the things that so many of us hunger for, we need a bigger vision for the ways the spiritual authority we have touches the places we spend the majority of our time. Now, whether you know it explicitly or you've just heard about it in vague terms, this vision has been rising amongst us, both here in our body, but also in different pockets all around the globe. So we started talking about sheep to shepherd here over a decade ago. And that's what this is talking about. You may have heard of this term, marketplace multipliers. In our program, we call it I am third. Whatever the language, it's the same message with the same vision that God is bringing to life. This is not a program. This is a way of life. And it's for all people. The priesthood of all believers is not a theological concept that we talk about. It is a core conviction of who we want to be at the church. It's in our DNA. And I think it's a prophetic insight into what the church may need as America increasingly becomes a mission field. If you think this is for someone else, if you think you're not capable or qualified, I'm probably talking to you today. So I want you to think of it this way. When you think of marketplace, think of anywhere you go when you leave the walls of the church. Any room you enter, your family, your workplace, your small group. When you think of multiplier, think of your kingdom potential. It's you. If you have faith in Christ, you are empowered and given permission to go into the places outside the walls of the church and spark kingdom movement. You carry a transformational gospel into every space and every relationship you enter. And you sit in a church that is using its authority from God on high, not for its own benefit, but for the benefit of the spaces you enter as you leave this place. Every time I've seen this come to life, every time that I've seen a spiritual movement, it's not because of greater human effort, it's not because of better execution. When you look at church history, movements are always birthed in prayer. They always follow the person of the Holy Spirit. Prayer's at the foundation. You saw Trent on stage earlier, and there was a day about seven years ago when he was with a group of people at my house, and we'd just been pursuing God in prayer. We'd been in the Word. And he was a pretty new in terms of just going after God. And that morning he was talking. He said, you know, ever since I've really been pursuing Christ, when I go lead at my business, I can't tell you how much more I love my employees. And I can't tell you how much more patience I have when they screw up. You know what else? Even when I'm making decisions with a lot on the line, I have so much more peace. It's just a joy to go after Christ like this. And another person obviously said, yeah, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And he looked at them with a confused look, and he said, what's that? He had never even heard of the fruit of the Spirit. But for me, when I think of that, well, if I'm not patient this day, I'm going to try to be really hard to be patient tomorrow. In my own human effort, I'm going to just force it. I'm going to write it in my journal, and then at the end of the day, I'm going to check off if I was more patient. No. Trent was just going after God, and God was cultivating 
this fruit in his life. And it wasn't only changing him, it was touching the way that he led in a place outside the church and everybody was feeling the impact of it. Hudson Taylor says, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And over and over and over again, I've seen when someone gets a spark for prayer, God starts to work. They start seeing new opportunities. Fruit starts being cultivated in their lives. He starts to do a new thing. The gospel goes forward in new ways. But if you're like me, and like so many of these same people that I talk to, no matter how many times I experience this, no matter how much I say I believe about prayer, man, prayer sure is filled with a lot of doubt, a lot of struggle, a lot of insecurity, a sense of failure. It always seems like nothing is happening. Sustaining it feels impossible. So when Paul says in verse nine, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. What I hear, what I want that to believe because it matches how I feel is, Jeff, someday in heaven, you'll have intimacy with God. The things have been prepared for you for once you die and you get to go to heaven and be with God. Feels more comfortable because that's what it feels like often when I sit down to pray. But the problem is verse 10 says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Do you believe that God's spirit reveals things to his people that the rulers of this age do not understand? Can you imagine the implications if that were true? Whatever it is you do, God knows more about that thing than the world does. He could do it better than the world. So if you coach a basketball team, you can do it in a different way and a better way because you have access to God's spirit. If you lead a family, you don't have to follow the customs and patterns of this world. You can follow God's spirit in leading your children. If you lead a church, you don't have to listen to the latest podcast or the newest trend or read the latest blog post. Whatever it is you do, if you go to school, if you work in a business, if you farm, you have access to the Spirit of God and you have the mind of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't always live like I have access to that. I don't always feel like I have the mind of Christ. Four verses later in verse three, Paul has turned to being sarcastic and he says, are you acting like mere humans? And I want to say, yes, isn't that what I am? I, that's what I feel like most days. But if you go on in the rest of chapter two, here's what Paul says about the, the spirit. He searches all things. He gives us insight to understand. He gives us words that can only be spoken because they're taught by the spirit. He allows us to make judgment about all things. And when we do that, you know what happens? We have the mind of Christ. We're not mere humans as we enter the marketplace. We enter with the mind of Christ. I believe deeply that every person's deepest potential lies in their spiritual development. As God's image is more fully cultivated in their life, as they are conformed from one degree of glory to the next, their deepest potential emerges. So every single person that I leave, lead in any space, anyone I interact with, 
Discipleship doesn't limit what we're doing. It elevates what we're doing. And that's not just in Christian environments that we're seeing this come to life. It's everywhere. And I'm convinced of this. Any team, any family, any organization, any group, if it would become more closely aligned with the kingdom of God, new things would come out. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It makes sense, but it's not easy. So for me, I work in athletics. And working in athletics, all the way from the insanity of youth sports up to the way that we worship professional athletes, I'm not sure there is an area where there is more idolatry in our world right now than in athletics. So does that mean I should leave athletics and go work at a church or go work in a ministry? Well, if God calls, yeah. But if I'm embedded inside of it, what I think that means is I should follow the Holy Spirit's lead in seeing where is this area following the customs and patterns of this world and asking the Holy Spirit, what would it look like if we took that and we instead aligned it with your kingdom? You know what I think you'd find? And this will shock you. God knows more about this thing than you do. If Jesus lived the life you lived, he would do it better than you would. But the good news is, you have the mind of Christ. Here's the deal. I know many of you have hearts that are stirred for this. You hear this and that's what you want for your life. Whether it's influencing people for Christ or prayer in general, you desire it, but you feel like it's for somebody else. You've tried it before and you just can't make it last. As imperfect as prayer can feel, I want to try in the remaining moments to just make it practical. And I don't want you to think that you have to do it the way I do it. But I'm going to try to share. And then I want you to just take it and make it your own. Make it better. Tell me why I'm wrong and why your way is better. But just use it to spark your prayer life forward. Dallas Willard defines prayer as talking with God about what we're thinking and doing together. So there's two sides of prayer. First, we pray for the people and the spaces that we occupy. Pray for your teammates. Then we respond to what God prompts us to do. We call it acts of fearless humility. Intercession, intentionality. God, what do you want me to know? God, what do you want me to do? What if our whole life was just based around those two questions? What would happen? So what do I mean when I say acts of fearless humility? It's pretty simple, really. What is the thing that God has given me? Maybe it's an insight from prayer. Maybe it's my position or my title or relationships. Could be anything. What has God given me? How do I use that as led by the Holy Spirit to elevate the things and the people around me? So I don't enter the marketplace and saying, who is here that I can convert? No, I say, what has God given me and how can I bless them? How can I elevate them? How can I make this thing I'm part of look more like the kingdom? Well, in the process, you know what will happen? God will prompt you to have an evangelistic conversation. But when you have it, you want God's spirit on your side. So often we can make things awkward when we think about spiritual influence. 
I've found responding with fearless humility is such a key for my own growth in my prayer journey. And I've got a word I want to share with you guys just this morning as I was thinking and I was praying through this. I was just overwhelmed. I think from the Holy Spirit. Because something I've noticed, this church is one of the most discerning churches that I've ever been around. We have people who really listen well to God. But I wonder sometimes if we never tilt that over into our lives. See, what I found in my own life, intercession can often lead to a critical spirit. Intercession can often lead to bitterness. And intercession can often lead to gossip. Here's why. We'll discern something correctly from the Holy Spirit. But then if we don't have an outlet for that, sometimes it turns the other way. Sometimes God reveals something to me about a person or a place, an institution, about the church in general. And rather than say, God is giving me something, I better find out what he just gave me and what my role is. Maybe the thing he gave me is the very role for the kingdom that I should play. Instead, we become skeptical. We become bitter. We start to judge people. We start to speak really negatively about Christ's bride. You need to ask him how to take what he is revealing to you and use it to elevate that thing. Bitterness, gossip, critical spirit is nowhere in any list that I've found about the fruit of the spirit. So if that's what's being cultivated, don't tell me you have prayer all the way down. You got 50% of prayer. So take that spirit, and it doesn't mean you're wrong. You're probably close to being right. But let's use that to elevate the things of the kingdom. Great example for me recently. Uh, been talking about prayer with some of our best friends. And we're praying for our kids more intentionally. And uh, a, a mother just said, you know, I'm not sure I have something specific, but I sure just have a whole lot more peace when I parent since I've been praying. Well, what a gift that is. Boy, if you could walk into situations or relationships or leadership opportunities and you had peace, you know how different things would be? So think of it this way. If you're reading an article or you're on social media and what is cultivated in your life is frustration or fear, well, we know God's spirit doesn't make us afraid. We know he doesn't make us timid. No, as we pursue the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is cultivated in our lives. So if we're praying and we have peace or we have love or we have joy, we can assume with a full heart that that is from the Holy Spirit and we can go after those things. We don't have to have guilt or doubt about what God is saying. No, assume it's from God and go after it. Live into it fully. Maybe God has so much more he desires to do through people and in organizations and families and teams. He's just waiting for his people to take the time to ask for his help and guidance and looking for those who have the courage to do whatever he says. So can you see why I have a deep conviction that the next move of God won't be one Billy Graham type figure who stands at the front and invites people down. Instead, it will be thousands of spirit-empowered believers who leave the church and they pray on offense for the people and the spaces they occupy. And whatever God says, they do it. And his voice grows in their lives. 
See, I see, I believe the fruit of those prayers wouldn't only lead to new conversions, they would lead to Christians who knew exactly who they were designed to be and who lived fully into the things God had put inside of them. Now, I know for me, as I've intentionally taken on this pattern, I've found my efforts go further and there's so much less pressure on what I have to do because it's not about my abilities. So I'll just tell you about my own journey and how it started with me. So I had a heart for prayer and I wanted to pray, especially as my children were being born. But I would sit down to pray and I'd start thinking about breakfast or who knows what else, what was on the internet. And I felt like nothing was happening in my prayer life. So I'm a pretty tactile person. I like to see things, I like to move around. So I just created some pictures and I just had that in my mind's eye. And I would go to the word, I would take those pictures. And if I felt like I read a scripture and a name came to mind, I just write that down. You'll see that with my kids in this next slide. Well, now as I went back, I had a starting point in prayer. And over days and weeks and months and years, as I'm praying God's word on behalf of, in this case, my children, boy, that just created so much more depth and clarity in my prayer life. And it picked up momentum. His word became more alive for me, not only in my own life, but for the people in the spaces around me. When something seemed to come from the Holy Spirit, I'd write it down. And if I felt led to say or do something, I'd do it. So then you can see it, would, it grew and there became more. These notes are filled with moments in prayer or evidence of God movements. So I'll tell you two examples. Uh, from about seven or eight years ago, um, I wrote down that Josh said to me, Daddy, you need to smile more. Now, there's some people in this room who had been telling me that for years. Jeff, you always look like you're in the fourth quarter and it's a close game. Just smile. But when God spoke it through my son, it pierced my heart in such a way that I had to write down and I had to start living into it. I had to be intentional and just say, just smile more. So there was another one, um, more recent, unfortunately. And this was straight from the Holy Spirit, I believe. I wrote down you need to stop being Tiffany's coach. <laughs> She's laughing the loudest, poor Tiffany. But let me ask you this question. When you think about, in this case, my family, where will the Holy Spirit find more traction? If I start smiling more and stop coaching Tiffany because that's what the Holy Spirit said, or if I try to give them a four-point sermon on what I read that day in Mark 8, you know what happens when I try to do that in my house? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going after the word with my kids. I want them to grow passionate for the word. I want it to come alive in their lives. But so often when I think of spiritual influence, what I think about is how do I say Jesus's name or how do I say a Bible verse or how do I get someone to practice a spiritual discipline? Not Influence that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's a much simpler definition of spiritual influence. What's the Holy Spirit say? Do that. Let him create the fruit. Let him lead to the influence. Let him put you in the rooms and the places and in the jobs and on the platforms that he wants you to be in. And then there's no pressure, there's freedom because it's his work that you're doing. 
So take one of our players. Let's say I have their picture up. I may go weeks without writing anything down. But let's say over the course of four years, one time per month, I write something down that seems like it's from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the cumulative effect over four years? When I'm coaching that player when they're, they're a senior, let's say there's four or five times where God is doing something very unique in their life. And I can recognize it and come alongside it and spur it on as led by the Holy Spirit. See, praying on offense is less about wrestling some result from God. It's way more about becoming aware of what God is doing. And then I ask him, how can I join what you're doing to advance it more? It's a fun way to pray. So then I went even deeper. And for the things that mattered the most, just came up with questions. Hey, here's three questions that I can consistently take to the Holy Spirit as I pray for my sons. And on the other side, consistently give space for the Holy Spirit to prompt me to do something. And guess what? If he doesn't, then I can have freedom to just live with them. I don't have to feel pressure to make something happen. So that's my journey. And I'd invite you now to grab one of your cards on your pews. You're going to see on the side. You'll see spaces to write names and places. There's a place at the bottom if you want to write your email down. Your pastor, our pastors can follow up with you on this practice or clue you in on future opportunities. But for some of you, I believe it's evident right now. I've been asking the Holy Spirit to make it evident that you should commit to this practice. Others of you, you'll take this prayer guide, you'll put it in your Bible. You won't see it for months. That's okay. Prayer should not be riddled with false expectations. You shouldn't be led by guilt in prayer. You should take this and make it your own. Make it fit your life. If you're sitting in the car line waiting to pick up your kids, pull it out. Keep it there. If you need to put in your iCal, pray three times a week, put it in there and do that. Don't try to pray like me. Pray in a way that gives you the freedom and confidence to approach the throne of grace boldly because that's what we're promised we can do. So I'm going to lead you through a prayer and I'm going to ask God to bring to mind just a few people and a space for you to commit to pray for. Don't overthink it. If something comes to mind, write it down and trust it's from the Holy Spirit. And you know, a coach always has to challenge the team. So here's my challenge for you. If you're feeling prompted by God to commit to this practice, I'm going to invite you forward and you can lay your card at the altar. And you're committing to three times per week for the rest of 2022 to just take this on. Again, it's not magical. You're just building a habit and cultivating opportunity for the Holy Spirit's voice to become louder and then doing whatever he says, acts of fearless humility. So at the end of my prayer, if you'll commit to this practice, if you believe God is leading you to this, just bring it forward, lay it here, and on your way out the door, you'll get one of these books, write the names in, and start praying. So pray with me, please. Father, We claim right now that your son is living amongst us. He is here. He is active in our world. He cares about the things we care about. We know your spirit knows more about these things than we do. And that by his spirit, he can reveal to us 
things that seem foolishness to the world. Right now, by the power of your son, I just pray you silence the voices of the enemy. I pray any sense of doubt or guilt or shame, anybody in this room desires to pray with more intentionality. I pray right now your voice is the loudest one in their mind. And I invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to to show pictures or give names of the people that you want these in our body to start praying on offense for. Maybe it's someone they hold bitterness towards right now. Maybe it's someone who has deeper kingdom potential and you're gonna use them as a tool to see that unlocked. Maybe it's one of their children. Maybe it's their boss. But would you bring to mind names and faces that you desire? And I believe that there are spaces where you have more for us You want it to look more like your kingdom. Maybe it's a family or a workplace or a small group. Wherever it is, would you bring that to mind? And Father, I pray as people take on this practice, it's not out of guilt or duty, but it's done in freedom. And I pray that your voice is the loudest one in this room. In your son's name we pray, amen.